All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 16th day of May, 2017. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and um, would like to invite you to continue to send along your Questions, criticisms, praises, whatever comments you have to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. I also want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Dinosaur Tank, Trimetals Mining, Telson Resources, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, Novo Resources, Genesis Metals, and GMV Minerals Corp. It is a most exciting time for junior exploration companies, and especially if you share my views that we are in the early days of a major gold bull market. And all of the companies I just named are covered in my own newsletter, and uh, well, there are quite a few more beyond that, but those are these are some of the more exciting ones in my letter. I really think they all have a great shot at doing extremely well moving forward in this bull market. Uh, you can, again, go to miningstocks.com to learn more about my newsletter, to sign up for it there. Chen Lin, my uh, my friend, uh, also publishes a letter, uh, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can go to chenpicks.com uh, to sign up for Chen's letter. He covers gold stocks, but he also covers biotechs and energy stocks. In fact, over the last few years, he's done very, very well in the biotech sector. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that investing in gold exploration stocks is always easy, even during bull markets. For example, my top holding is Novo Resources. That's my personal top holding. And it's down 35% from my average cost of $0.79 per share. The stock is currently at around $0.52 in U.S. money. So you can buy it at about a 35% discount from my average price. So needless to say... Um, depending on when you buy it. Uh, certainly, I'm not surprised by an email that I received from a listener to this show who wrote the following, and I quote, All we hear from uh, Dr. Henning is Noble soon will be producing gold. The only thing I see is increased special stock sales to privileged people with free warrants and dilution for everyone. How about asking Dr. Henning, uh, why so much dilution and no production, end of quote. Well, we certainly will have Dr. Henning on this show next week, and I look forward to asking him that, letting him talk about it. I do know those of you who have been in this business as long as I have know that the exploration business is a very tough business. It requires a lot of patience at times. When we're in periods like we've had a five-year bear market, it really sets things back a ways, but 
when the when the good times come, they can really come. They can uh, these little junior exploration companies, especially those that find mineral deposits of value, go up very very many times their value, and this is more common than not uh, in the bull markets. Uh, actually, with respect to Novo, they did put out a press release today, which you can access easily from a link on the front page of miningstocks.com. Meantime, here are a few of the more important topics discussed in that press release by Dr. Henning. Uh, he said that Novo is targeting completion of a pre-feasibility study for the Beaton's Creek Gold property uh, by the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, they have advanced production uh they have an advance, or they're seeking an advanced production permit at Beaton's Creek. Actually, they have it, I believe, at this point in time. Novo has recently hired an in-house environmental scientist. Chris Gotti has uh, uh, been involved in the past working for Millennium Minerals. Uh, that's an Australian gold producer right in that same neighborhood where uh, where Novo is operating. Uh, the good news from my point of view for Novo is that it now has a significant amount of cash in the till that enables it to move forward. And uh, I continue to believe that this will be a very successful company. I would love to add more shares now, but since I have almost 20% of my uh, personal portfolio in this one stock, I simply can't go beyond that. But I'm quite confident that uh, I'll be very happy with my average 79 cent purchase over the next couple of years. Time will tell if I'm right. But as I say, I will be uh, talking to Novo next week. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me. Would also like to mention that Klondike Gold, um, just as, uh, well, actually it's the uh, the interview that or the, the speech that Peter Talman, the president of Klondike Gold, made at the Metals Investor Forum is now posted. And you can also access that. It's my understanding that it has been put up at miningstocks.com. So you can catch up with Dr. Quentin Henning's uh, news release at miningstocks.com. You can also quickly and easily link on to the interview Peter Talman made, uh, the president of Klondike Gold at miningstocks.com. Now, I'd also like to note that uh, on Thursday, Eric Coffin will be my guest on Top Stock Picks. Uh, that's my podcast that I normally put at J. Taylor Media on Tuesdays, but a scheduling conflict this week made that impossible. So, Eric and I will be recording on Wednesday. It will be posted uh, at uh, Top Stock Picks podcast on at mining stock, uh, excuse me, at jtaylormedia.com on Thursday. Now, I've titled today's show America's Economic Addiction to Constant Wars and Crises. Alistair McLeod and Michael Oliver return. The question is, how much longer can the heart of an insolvent U.S. global empire continue to beat, given its massive debt, and likely depletion of gold reserves. At the same time, as sources to fund the U.S. Treasury debt is falling, they are falling very rapidly. Because our major media is mostly made up of propaganda these days and has little to do, in my view, with the facts, uh, you may not be aware that the U.S. financial system is really uh, in a precarious state. For example, bet you're not aware that over the last two years, there has been a 12.5% decrease in foreign holdings of U.S. Treasuries. We used to depend on Japan and China to allow us to continue to live beyond our means. Well, they, that those days look like they're over, uh, at least over the last two years. There has been a major decrease in Social Security funding of Treasuries, another major source of funding for Treasuries. Not surprisingly, this is happening because of the demographics, aging population, people like yours truly who are now taking their Social Security checks, 
not to mention a dwindling amount of money going into the Treasury for Social Security because of a loss of jobs, fewer people working, and those that are working are working for much less. Uh, Their salaries are much lower. So, of course, you do know, supposedly, that quantitative easing has end. So that's a source of funding that's not there, supposedly. But I would encourage you to watch a video of my talk at the Metals Investor Forum on May uh, 5th. Uh, it's now posted also um, at J. Taylor Media, uh, actually at Mining Stocks. You can pick it up there as well. I documented the fact that there is a very substantial source of funding coming into the U.S. Treasury simply uh, that the Treasury is highly secretive about. Um, they are a major source of funding they're simply labeling as other, and they're not telling us what that is. Curious thing, we certainly would like to know. Uh, some are suggesting that it may uh, merely be the Treasury, uh, a, a hidden sort of backdoor quantitative easing, if you will. Otherwise, the interest rates may be rising much more rapidly, not because the economy is strong, as the propaganda would have you believe, but because there just simply is a shortage of people willing to lend their money to the Treasury at rates that are ridiculously low, far below, even below the inflation rate. So um, that leads me to Alistair McLeod and my main guest today and the title of the show, which is America's Economic Addiction to Constant Wars and Crises. Well, President Eisenhower, who was the last president to audit and uh, the America's gold reserves and report them to the public, warned Americans as he was leaving office that the military-industrial complex threatened our liberty. And certainly as a leading general in World War II and the President of the United States, Eisenhower was most certainly in a position to see how government run by companies that profit from wars could destroy the very nature, the very fiber of our free society. And indeed, now with corporations dominating U.S. government like never before, and with a domestic economy that has frankly continued in a depression since 2008-2009, except for a few of the upper maybe 10%, there is a need like never before for the neoconservatives to keep funding wars, to keep giving us a reason to fight wars, not only to keep the cash register ringing for those corporations uh, who operate our America's killing machine, but to also create fear that drives funding into the Treasury which, as I just noted, is having a more and more difficult time doing so. So, Alistair McLeod recently wrote two excellent articles in which he provides details about the dynamics that may be driving the world ever more closely to World War III. We hope and pray that's not the case, but those articles, America's Financial War Strategy and End of Empire, we'll be talking to Alistair about those articles when he comes on at about half past the hour Both those articles, I think, are are very, very important, and I hope that you'll listen to what Alistair has to say. We do have to go to break now, but don't go away because the person who I have on this show more often than anyone else, namely Michael Oliver, because of my confidence in his continuously uh, right calls on the markets, he'll be right back. uh, He'll be with us right when we come right back after the the first break. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver.
Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Telson Resources is building a new gold mine in Durango State that is destined to become one of the highest grade gold producers in Mexico. Telson plans to commence production in early 2018 to mine over 1,000 tons per day by the end of the first year. Telson presents an exciting opportunity to investors seeking to position themselves in an exciting and robust new undervalued gold mine opportunity. Telson Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol TSN and on the OTCBB under symbol SOHFF. TriMetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me uh, once again, Michael Oliver. Michael is my most frequent guest uh, on this show because more than any other technical analyst that I have uh, ever encountered, actually, uh, he's been spot on. And, you know, I'm not talking about, I've never been a real short-term trader, and so I'm not interested in little wiggles. What I want are the bigger waves, the bigger moves. I want to know that I, when I'm in a secular bull market or a bull market of some duration, I know I want to be in that bull market. But I don't want to be there when we turn the other way. And uh, more than anybody else I've come in contact with, Michael Oliver has been helpful, at least to me, uh, in feeling confident that I'm on the right side of the market. So thanks for joining me again, Michael. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. Great to be back, Jay. Always good to be back, and it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. And, Michael, you told me, uh, you know, you don't come on, you don't pay to come on this show. You come on this show because I love to have you here because of the information you pass along to my listeners all the time. But you mentioned that you are providing a special to people now. Would you go ahead and tell well, them? Well, I, I, yeah, I hate to be self-promoting, but uh, our rates are pretty high. As a research letter, uh, our rates relative to most market letters is high. Uh, we also service a lot of institutional clients, and so for them it might be kind of low. But for mm-hmm. the retail uh, investor, market letter buyer, 
our annual rate's eighteen hundred a year, and mm-hmm. a lot of people pay quarterly four seventy five. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this week only, <laughs> I decided we're going to run a special six months, one time only, for four seventy five. So you're getting two quarters worth for one quarter's price. The end of the six months, you'll know whether you like or don't like the work, and then can uh, continue or not continue at the standard rate, which mm-hmm. is four seventy five a quarter. We cover all four asset categories. Uh, debt, commodities, foreign exchange, and stocks. So we, we have a wide view, and we t- tend to look at the longer-term view. Uh, and not, as you said, not the wiggles. We're not a day-trading type uh, research product. But anyway, right. uh, so right. if, if somebody would like that trial, simply send us an email by going to the site, and there's a login mm-hmm. place there, and say, I'd like to uh, try the trial, and we'll send them an invoice, and they can commence and see how they like the first six months. Anyway, thank well, you. Well, th- <laughs> thank you for that, Michael. Thanks for yeah. passing that along to my listeners, and I hope some of them will take advantage of it because, uh, well, because, you know, I've just said I, I really enjoy and feel confident in your work. You know, Michael, before we get started here, um, you started another part of your service that I think is also very helpful, and that is something you call MSA Trade Sheet that you put out once a week. Tell our listeners about that. Well, it's just a summary of, of uh, situations that we see as either uh, recently uh, occurred or underway, trend changes that are underway or, or pending. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, we said short T-bonds back in October last year, T-bond futures at 166 to 163 zone. They're now in the you know, low 150s. Uh, that's an ongoing trade. We've got a mm-hmm. lot of trades that are pending, meaning we identify situations that look like an upturn is coming or a downturn is coming. Here are the numbers specified in the trade sheet, and mm-hmm. often they're adjusted weekly or monthly. Uh, and uh, again, we update each week. Uh, yeah. as to what level turns this market down, turns that market up, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore it's a quick reference. Uh, yeah, sheet. no, very handy because you put out a lot of things, and not, you know, a lot of smaller markets too are, are specific subsets of those major four that you just yeah. mentioned, and they're very helpful. Well, you just mentioned the bonds. Um, you, you, I see from your from your weekly sheet that you just referenced that you have pulled the trigger on the short side of the T-bonds. In other words, you believe that rates are going to go higher and... In the long run, uh, yes. We think they are. Yeah. Okay. Since last October was that signal. Uh, However, in our reports, we've warned subscribers that T-bonds are in a counter-trend rally or an effort at a counter-trend rally over the last several months. In fact, it's been a... uh, They had a five and a half, about an eight almost an eight-point rally from low to high. We're not quite sure that rally's over yet, but it is a counter-trend rally. It is not a bull market. When it fails, uh, and it will fail probably within the next month or so, I think, uh, bonds will go back down again. Rates will uh, return to the upside. Uh, and, uh, and we're not talking about nitpicking of uh, Fed, Fed funds rates and stuff like that. We're talking about mm-hmm. interest rates, long-term rates going up sharply. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very important, and it will have impacts in other markets. Um, we also, well, we're also very keen right now on the grain markets. The grain markets mm-hmm. have been dormant, dead as a doornail, in fact, for about three years. Uh, but they have massive bases, and we think these bases are probably going to break out very soon. And we're, our suspicion is, based on certain metrics that we look at, the first up leg in the grains, and I'm talking soybeans, corn, and wheat, and or the ETFs related thereto, uh, could be a 40% surge. 
Mm-hmm. And so we like to identify situations like that that are uh, quite often when a new trend emerges, it's a rapid whoosh of air, if you know what I mean. Right. It's a right. surprise. And, and those can, often can be quite profitable in, in, over a very short period of time. Right. So we're, I see we're watching that... a lot of things that people otherwise might not watch. Oh, I see that you've actually pulled the trigger on the long side on on an ETF in the commodity space. So, uh, yeah. And that's the kind of information. And, and of course, you... And the GDX, for example. We're, we've and the, been bullish on it since last February. So, you know, right. Gold miners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, you've been bullish on that. And uh, and that has worked... Um, that, that Right now, we're seeing a little, a little pause. Uh, the juniors, um, not the juniors, but the gold shares in general, you know, they started off, I guess, last year, they were a lot stronger than the gold bull market, mm-hmm. than the bullion than the bullion market, but now they've, they've weakened a bit. What's your read on that? Are you still, uh, you're well, still actually, bullish. If you look at the last few weeks, they've strengthened again sharply. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, GDX got down under 21, and now it's trading over 23. Well, you do the percentage on that. Gold, meanwhile, has rallied uh, $20. Do the percentage yeah. on that. Uh, GDX has gotten far stronger over the last week or two since the recent sell-off. Uh, and frankly, GDX, this is the Unleveraged Gold Miners uh, ETF, uh, it's now it's traded over 23, and our opinion is if you get up around the very high 23s or 24, uh, especially on a weekly close, while that doesn't do anything to a price chart, uh, to us, to our momentum work, it is a major breakout, and it suggests that we're headed back up into the high 20s or 30 again. Um, and by the way, uh, price chart people who maintain point-and-figure charts, you know, the X's and O's, Uh, If they get upticks to 26, they'll be staring at a triple top pending breakout, pending up to $30. Uh, So getting the upticks out of this recent sell-off are important. And we think about another point up in the GDX, uh, and it could unleash, uh, which is not revealed again on the price charts, nor is it reflected in the gold. But uh, I think GDX could revitalize itself very quickly. Yeah, I guess maybe uh, my sense is, since I'm looking at the smaller guys, the juniors, they have not performed as well, and there are some structural issues there having to do with a hedge fund, a GDXJ, in fact, right, right. that had to unload a bunch of them because they were getting so, I mean, there was so much money going in the GDXJ that they were buying, you know, owning upwards to 20% of some of these individual companies, and then that posed regulatory issues for them, and they mm-hmm. had, to, had to sell out and get out, so I guess... That probably hurt the low, the, the smaller guys more, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly certainly encouraging, Michael. Given uh, my vested interest in seeing strong gold prices, well, I'd like to get back though, with a couple of minutes that we have left here yet, two or three minutes, uh, concerning the the bond market, the T bond market, and I have to thank you for that um, Judas goat image. It was really very interesting, and in fact, I I structured I named my talk. Uh, the title of my talk in Vancouver was Is the T-Bond a Judas Goat? And I gave you credit for that. But uh, talk to us a little bit about this because you know that the mantra, the the idea that we're supposed to have, the propaganda has us believing that interest rates are going up for all of the good reasons. They're going up mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the economy is getting strong, demand is strong out there. Right, right. When in fact, I was, uh, it seems to me that the Treasury may be having more and more difficulty funding itself uh, not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know the, the foreign money is going away social security money is is not nearly what it used to be in terms of funding mm-hmm. uh, quantitative easing is supposed to go away but we see a huge amount of other it's called other sources that the treasury doesn't amount doesn't say what it is coming in there so um it could it be i mean people are buying or drinking the kool-aid so to speak believing that higher rates mean 
the economy is really good, and therefore keep on buying those stocks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the T-bond yield uh, made its low or high price in July of last year, low yield at 2.11%, 30-year T-bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's since surged up, uh, I think, to about three and a quarter, and then leveled off. <clears throat> Our view is the next leg will take you to four and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the first leg down, and this is quite true in, in, in many transitional markets, whether it's a top in stocks or bottom in commodities, whatever, the first leg is debatable. Uh, both sides are still uh, arguing about whether it's real or not, the turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first leg down in bonds, from the 160s down into the under got near 147 recently and rallied up to 155. I think it's about 151 right now. Uh, was sharp, but it was acceptable, uh, mm-hmm. politically acceptable, so to speak. Other uh, economies getting better and you know, so forth and so on. Right. Uh, the next leg is the one that's going to shock them because it's mm-hmm. the next leg that suddenly the, those explanations sort of go by the way and you start getting concerned what impact those higher yields are going to have on various uh, other industries and so forth. Uh, plus, you've got a couple in the other factor for foreign investors. Uh, they buy T-bonds. Uh, you know, they go to watch the dollar. The dollar's mm-hmm. been beneficial to the extent that, you know, the dollar has gone up. But the dollar stalled for the last two years. And in our view, the dollar getting much under 99, which it is now, closing a month there, uh, is a major trend break on our long-term mm. momentum for the dollar, which indicates the dollar could weaken sharply. Well, that, that is a hindrance uh, to the T-bonds, especially foreign mm-hmm. investors in T-bonds. Mm-hmm. So that could come into play as well. Uh, so oh. I, would, I think the T-bonds could be the, the Judas goat, meaning you know, they lead the stocks to slaughter. Right yeah. now the stocks are saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, we'll see if it doesn't matter on the next mm-hmm. leg down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that next leg, I mean if T-bonds, this intermediate rally we're in now fails, which it will, we roll over. I think you could take the bonds into the high 120s. Mm. That would get you to about four and a quarter yield. My bet oh. is that leg down will not be shrugged off by the stock market. Oh, no, I don't see how it could be, and it's yeah. going to wreak havoc on the on the treasury as well. Yeah, it's just uh, you know it's it's incredible how the central bankers have gotten us into this fix. It really is a disaster, uh, thanks to Lord Keynes, I guess. But uh, with one minute left here, uh, to me it seems to me to me it seems as though your dollar view, if you're right about that. That also paves the way for your bullishness on the commodities, the that hard be, and soft that commodities. Be wind, wind at the back. There's no question about it because uh, so far the commodity upturn, which is a debatable thing in most people's minds, not in ours. We think the turn is underway, has been underway since early 2016 in a piecemeal fashion. Uh, yeah. Commodities, just like stocks, are segmented. Uh, you know, they're not commodities aren't all unified. So you have some sectors in the stock market do better than others, and so forth. Well, last year was gold year, silver, oil. Uh, sugar. But the grains and the meats uh, were under pressure, capped off. They didn't participate. Uh, we think that's about the shift this year where the food commodities join in, and they've already started to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when they join in, then you can have a full chorus. Oh, uh, and that's, okay. when it, that's when it gets obvious. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, we'll have to leave a go at that, Michael. Thank you again for your insights. Okay, always you. always appreciated. Uh, they're fantastic. And uh, again, folks, uh, Michael is offering a special uh, quite a deal, actually. So, uh, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Thanks, uh, Michael, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next week, hopefully. Well, Thank folks, you. we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Uh, Alistair McLeod will be with us. Uh, he's going to talk about why the United States needs to continue with its uh, military-industrial complex to fund the Treasury. Very interesting concept. 
And there might actually be something to it. If so, you need to know about it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Alistair McLeod. Alistair has a background as a stockbroker, as a banker, and as an economist. Uh, He is a senior fellow at Gold Money Foundation, and he writes uh, many thought-provoking articles there for Gold Money, uh, goldmoney.com. I highly recommend you go there to pick up Alistair's material and and other writers there as well, but uh, Alistair, I think, um, is really... Uh, really uh, the top of the game there, and I really enjoy his insights, uh, very uh, thought-provoking insights, and uh, we're certainly going to hear about some of those today, I hope. Welcome, Alistair. Thanks for being with me again. That's my pleasure, Jay. Always good to talk to you. Um, I would like to start out by asking you to comment on several points from your uh, April 20th article that was posted at Gold Money, uh, titled America's Financial War Strategy. Now, you started out the article by noting that President Trump uh, has done about a 180-degree turn from the, his campaign rhetoric in which he suggested that there was no longer any need for NATO, or at least if there is a NATO, that doesn't need to be so aggressive, and 
Uh, every country should pay their own way, of course, he said. And uh, America is tired and sick and tired of paying for Europe's uh, defense and all of that sort of thing. He suggested that maybe it might be better if we, um, well, wouldn't it be nice if we got along with Russia, he said, uh, rather than fighting with them. What would be wrong with trading with Russia and other countries that we consider to be our enemies? Maybe they don't have to be. That was sort of the message I got, and quite frankly, the reason I personally voted for Donald Trump, not because I loved his personality by any means, but because I thought he was saying some of the right things. And lo and behold, 180-degree turn, he's about as aggressive as as Every bit as aggressive as Hillary Clinton would have been, it seems, but um, maybe that will become obvious why, and I think it will as we continue our discussion, uh, but can you maybe just uh, review some of the things that Trump has done since in the short time he's been in the White House? He's really guns a-blazing, right? Yes, you're right, Jay. He's 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 turned from peacenik to warmonger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a remarkable transformation. Yeah. And uh, I don't know whether this is because uh, the uh, deep state has got to him and sort of uh-huh. told him the facts of life or, or what. Um, but I would suspect that there is quite, um, if you like, a sort of a turf war going on between Langley, which, of course, is where your security services are based, and the White House. So mm-hmm. I think that... That is a watch this space. But no, you're right to mention the various um, things that he's done. I mean, the first thing he did was um, uh, do a joint operation with the Emirati commandos in the Yemen. And uh, yeah. a Navy SEAL got killed. And that was that was um, uh, very, very unfortunate. And that, that, that mission was a failure. He then uh, sent uh, missiles in um, uh, against a Syrian airfield um, uh, on reports that the Syrians had deployed chemical weapons, including sarin gas. Um, but the trouble is, with all this, we don't know whether it's true or not. You've got, um, you know, the intelligence services telling us what's happened. But, you know, intelligence services are in the business of dissembling information. I mean, do we mm-hmm. believe them or what? You know, this, this yeah. is trouble. Yeah. After that, of course, he then um, turned 180 degrees on North Korea. Originally, he was talking about, I'm going to meet um, uh, the leader of North Korea, and we're going we're to talk about it, and I'm going to see what his problems are. You know, mm-hmm. then he starts ramping up, sending aircraft carriers there and all the rest of it. Then he bombs um, uh, eastern Afghanistan with this enormous bomb um, and Mm -hmm. uh, takes out ISIS people in the tunnels there. Uh, Then I think troops have been dispatched to fight ISIS in northern Iraq and um, uh, eastern Syria. Um, And then that's five. Uh, And since I read that article, he's now sent more troops or he's agreed to be sending more troops to Afghanistan. Um, to bolster the regime there. And, of course, rumbling in the background, there is the sort of saber-rattling against Iran, which, um, you know, has picked up a little bit. That's gone from the news a little bit. Um, uh, but um, he, you're right. Your comment that he's turned around completely is absolutely right. And there are six pieces of evidence in support of what you're saying. You know, in your article, uh, America's Financial War Strategy, you mentioned the name of a major general, I think uh, Xiao Yong, if I'm pronouncing it right, in the People's Liberation Army, um, whose views you suggest carry some considerable weight among the uh, Chinese government. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this gentleman and his geopolitical, his economic, geoeconomic views? Yes. Um, he 
it, along with with uh, one of his colleagues, was the joint author of a book um, on uh, strategy that was uh, launched um, in 1999. But more recently, uh, he produced a paper uh, which um, was released by the Chinese government, and so it was obviously approved by for release by the Chinese government. Uh, really detailing how the Chinese see, and particularly this gentleman, Xiao uh, Yang, uh, sees uh, American strategy and why they're doing it. And really what he is, the burden of his song is that the real war that uh, America fights all the time is effectively financial. And mm -hmm. it's all about using the dollar for uh, domestic benefit. Um, dollars can be printed for export, which um, is, uh, you know, is, is, if you like, transfers resources to America. Equally, um, when they need to borrow dollars, uh, they what they do is they shake out uh, dollar ownership from mm -hmm. uh, being used abroad into being reinvested into treasuries. And uh, uh, Yang uh, describes this as basically being a process. It's rather like a sort of a pump and dump, if you like. Mm -hmm. The process really on, on the bond side is you make other investments, dollar investments appear risky, so that... Um, you know, people who who uh, are uh, outside America owning dollars will redeploy their dollars to invest in uh, in, in treasuries. And that has been, um, you know, one of the reasons why there's been such a buildup of reserves abroad invested in U.S. treasuries. So uh, he, he describes a cycle, if you like, which mm -hmm. we would call, I think, pump and dump in the markets. Uh-huh. Yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, and, you know, I've been around long enough to remember some of these cycles, the Latin American crisis being one, the Asian crisis coming afterwards. These are uh, cycles that have some duration, I think, maybe something like 10 years or something like that, Alistair? That's right. I mean, part of this is, uh, you know, periods of dollar weakness and periods of dollar strength. Um, the Latin American crisis um, was, I think, actually, it, uh, you know, the root of it was um, uh, the, the, the requirement for the Fed to deal uh, with uh, uh, credit flows and inflation in, Amer in America. So I, I think the, the crisis, if you like, wasn't a pump and dump um, to screw Latin America. Far from it. If anything, America at that time was far more interested in, in keeping Latin America on side. So mm -hmm. uh, this is where I disagree with Xiao Yang. But um, having said that, the net effect is the same. Uh, but what came out of that, um, call it Xiao Yang's uh, pump and dump, is obviously we had uh, the coup d'etats in Chile. Um, mm -hmm. uh, after Allende screwed everything up. And then mm -hmm. uh, we had the coup d'etat in, in, in Argentina, which led to the, the invasion of the Falklands and all the rest of it. So the, you, you can see that uh, these actions, if you like, these dollar flows are destabilizing. Uh, and you had the same thing in the Asian crisis, which started with the Thai Baht having a run against it in, I think it was 1995. And that spread uh, to the other major economies in the area, uh, you know, particularly the Philippines, um, uh, Malaysia, and also, of course, um, uh, Indonesia. Uh, and and uh, uh, there again, uh, that chased dollars, uh, if you like, into U.S. treasuries out of investments in that area. That area mm -hmm. had been booming. I mean, people were building factories and all the rest of it. I mean, the, 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 the whole of the area was really undergoing a, um, an industrial revolution and manufacturing cheap goods for America and the rest of the world. Uh, and, you know, all, all financed um, uh, out of dollars or alternatively 
by uh, Japanese co uh, companies who were expanding their production out of Japan into Southeast Asia. So it was a very, very severe knock uh, against um, uh, Southeast Asia. And uh, Xiaoyang uh, um, makes the point that China um, avoided being hurt in that because she didn't have any dollars. Hmm. She didn't have any dollars. Uh, she was has been pretty protective of her banking industry as, as well, I think, Alistair, right? China? Uh, yes, she has. I mean, the, the banks, th this, is, this is an interesting point she raised because the banks are uh, owned by the state. Uh, and so it's not like, um, uh, if you like, a, um, you know, a publicly owned bank or a private sector owned mm -hmm. bank uh, that we would have in America or in Europe, um, expanding credit and then uh, finding that, um, you know, it's got a problem because there's a credit bubble, it starts imploding because of all the malinvestment, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, we get the malinvestment, but because the bank is owned by the state, the state can direct ways in which the malinvestment is handled. So the crisis, which um, lots of uh, hedge fund investors in America uh, expect to happen in Japan, hasn't mm -hmm. happened because of the control element that the mm -hmm. state has over the overall banking system. That's mm -hmm. the fundamental difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, well, we have, so what, what, what we have here then, it seems to me, Alistair, and I think this was brought out in your article, is that you have this pump and dump. So, you you know, when you pull the rug out from underneath these these countries or these areas of the world, their prices really plummet. And then that paves the way to go back in and use those dollars that are created out of nothing to go in and buy these cheap assets a lot of times too, right? So it's, a, it's an expansion, an, an empire expansion process as well as funding the treasury then when the air goes out. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think a very good example of this was we go back to the uh, to the uh, Latin American situation, where um, after the region had collapsed financially, um, you had the issuance of Brady bonds, mm -hmm. which uh, were the means by which uh, American institutions managed to get out, get back into the region and acquire assets really relatively cheaply. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. I think the, the Brady bonds actually was to deal with a bad debt situation, which was mm -hmm. really afflicting the banks uh, and particularly the American banks who were owed a uh, hell of a lot of money. Um, but the way that the Chinese see this is, ah, you know, the, what they're doing <laughs> is, they're, you know, they're crashing the economy and they're getting in cheap. Now, we can say it is the same effect. I would yes. read it differently, but I would agree with the net effect is, is, is pretty well as Xiaoyang uh, says. Right, so it's a matter of intent that you see uh, somewhat differently than he does, apparently. Yeah, but but you know, Alistair, I think one of the most striking remarks that he shall uh, made, you mentioned in your article, he suggested that Nixon taking gold away from the dollar and from the international monetary system in 1971 was a bigger event in the 20th century than World War One and World War Two. That's a that's a, a remarkable statement. Now, it's it's something that I have felt. It's far more important than most everybody understands. I think most people don't understand that the empire has been able to expand and you know commit all these and be involved in all these wars around the world because we've been able to create money out of nothing and also the pump and dump scenario that you were just talking about. So to me, it makes sense. But for someone like that to say this was a bigger event than World War One and World War Two is remarkable, I think, don't you? Yes, isn't isn't it fascinating? Yeah. Um, I, I I mean, you know, 
here, here am I in England, and you know, London got bombed, the town down the road from me, Exeter got bombed, and all the rest of it. I would take issue with that statement. But having said that, I see where what is where he's coming from, and certainly in financial terms, uh, coming off, um, or if you like, the end of the Bretton Woods Agreement was a very major um, uh, economic event. You've only got to look at the price of commodities to see what the effect has been of um, the previous pricing effectively in gold through the medium of the dollar of commodities, they were very, very stable. Oil is the obvious example. And then we come, you know, gold is, 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 is gone from the scene because it can no longer be maintained. And then what happens to prices? Prices start rocketing for all basic materials. And of course, we ended up with uh, the threat of hyperinflation developing in this country in the 70s and in mm -hmm. America also in the mm -hmm. later 70s. So, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the turn of events from that one um, action of, um, you know, the Nixon shock actually uh, has had a major impact ever since. And it, it really, really is major. Uh, so in that sense, I would agree with him, but I would take issue about the, <laughs> the world wars things. And I, I also wonder, I mean, the Japanese invaded Manchuria and all the rest of it. So yeah. um, I think, um, you know, he obviously feels very strongly about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, remember that this is, this is sanctioned by um, the Communist Party leadership too. So right. that right. is a view which they would like to push forward. And right. I think the reason they're doing this, just as an aside, is so that every time America goes and sort of says, now, who are we going to pump and dump <laughs> now, um, that other countries have been warned. And I think particularly, and this is relevant to today, we're looking at both South Korea and Japan. Now, they, I think, are, um, under this analysis, the real targets for uh, America's aggression against North Korea. Um, because uh, any money that's in Japan or South Korea, um, uh, any dollar money, if you like, that's, 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 that's in the ownership there is likely to move over to U.S. Treasuries. Now, this is important because if you're going to fund this increased deficit, um, mm -hmm. which, is, which is Trump's immediate monetary problem, financial problem, then it can only be done uh, on a slight rise in interest rates not a significant rise in interest mm -hmm. rates, because if you get a significant rise in interest rates, you crash the system. Mm -hmm. So um, it, this is all about making alternative investments to U.S. Treasuries look um, uh, 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 even more risky than, uh, the, than they are at the moment. All right. So this may be then, I think, getting back to the point that I was making early in our discussion the notion of why Trump has done a 180-degree uh, turn here on, on foreign policy relates to the need to keep the safe haven image in the minds of people around the world. And how do you do that? If you can't do it with economics, you do it with, with wars or threats of wars or military incursions or what? Is that, That's also yeah, what that's the Chinese see, right? That, that, is, that is how the Chinese would see it on uh, this analysis. And I suspect that that is... Um, 
that is one of the things that I think Langley would be looking at as a means mm -hmm. of uh, continuing the status quo, because America has a huge problem. Uh, you've got uh, a very unpredictable president, uh, and um, goodness knows what's going to happen, what he's going to turn around and do yeah. you know, tomorrow, the day after, next month. Um, but the one thing you do have is you, you're, you're right up against the debt ceiling. Um, the amount of debt in uh, the U.S. economy and in in other uh, currencies uh, which regard the um, dollar as a reference point, the amount of debt is just absolutely enormous. We cannot afford to have a significant rise in interest rates. So to go and borrow uh, heavily in the markets has got to be a very controlled operation and war can be used as a means of trying to keep that cost down. Yeah, maybe somebody uh, left him know that you can't be a peacemaker here um, if you want to keep money coming back to the Treasury. So very, very interesting insights there. One I certainly hadn't thought of until I read your, your excellent article. Um, you, you, your second article I'd like to ask you about to comment on a bit is End of Empire. In that article, you stated, and I quote, Already China dominates world trade. Her own economy is already significantly larger than that of the U.S. on a purchasing power parity estimate. While being the largest consumer of raw materials, China also export, exports more finished goods by value than any other country, end of quote. Well, I believe that China has been very slowly reducing its holdings of dollars from what I can tell. I, I saw statistics recently that suggested that foreigners over the last two years have reduced their net reduced their holdings of treasuries by 12.5%. Um, but your, your end of empire article suggests that uh, given Trump's newfound warmongering modus operandi, that China and Russia may no longer have the luxury of waiting as they have been. You know, China's not wanted to to dump their treasuries. They own so many of them. They don't want to, I mean, it'd be like some major stockholder selling all his stocks and watching it go to zero. Uh, the, the Chinese don't want to do that. So they've been patient, but you're suggesting that given some of Trump's actions recently, maybe North Korea and other things, and, you know, sending ships around the world and everything, that maybe they feel like they don't have the time, uh, the luxury of time. Could you talk about that a bit? Uh, yes, certainly. This is actually a very, very complex issue. Uh, basically, what the Chinese um, uh, are planning to do is to gradually dispose of their uh, of the dollars in their reserves, which include U.S. Treasuries and Treasury bills, uh, and to reinvest the proceeds in uh, the raw materials that they need for their plans to develop the um, uh, One Belt, um, you know, the, the Spice Trail. Uh, yeah. route. Um, in fact, there are two of those. There's the land one and there's the one going around the sea. Yeah. Um, and also the associated development in the region. There's also a lot of infrastructure development uh, to be conducted within China. I mean, one of the things which they plan to do, for example, is to upgrade the uh, electricity grid system, which mm -hmm. is going to require a lot of copper. Now, things are being put on hold slightly because, um, obviously, the uh, wealth uh, management products in uh, um, China, the, you know, these, these are sort of speculative funds, if you like, that play whatever market is uh, the thing to play at the time. They have been effectively front-loading um, uh, ahead of the Chinese government or front-running uh, the mm. Chinese government's purchases of commodities. <laughs> so, what, so the first thing that, that, that um, uh, the Chinese government is now doing is, is basically winding down these wealth management product speculations. 
there is obviously no interest in having them front run uh, sure. state purchases. So um, that, in in a sense, has put things on hold. Uh, the other thing that has actually emerged, which 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 modifies the story slightly, is that um, I I was very interested to see that uh, America has come to um, uh, a trade agreement with China over financial services, uh, you know, and a few sort of and and uh, agricultural products and so on. Now, it's actually quite minor stuff, but I think it's actually a very, very important marketer, mar uh, marker, if you like, for the relationship mm. between Donald Trump and President Xi. Mm. There's no doubt about it. They got on very well um, uh, when they met in Florida. Um, and I would say this of President Xi, he strikes me as being a man with quite a lot of charisma. Uh, and he's the sort of person who I think, um, you know, meet him in the flesh and you think, my goodness, this is a man and a half. I mean, what mm -hmm. an interest, you know. So I can see Trump being turned, if you like, uh, mm -hmm. in, in that sense. Um, so... Um, what we are seeing, I think, and this is the turf war that you have in the White House, we're seeing Trump still pursuing, uh, I want to talk to these guys, I want to work with these guys, I want to come to agreements with these guys. And you've got Langley, who are very cautious on the other side, saying, look, Mr. President, this is not realistic. Mm -hmm. um, equally, you had Lavrov visited uh, uh, the White House, I, th uh, um, I think it was last week, and uh, they had, uh, I think, probably quite productive uh, conversations. Um, and that certainly is likely to lead up to a meeting with President Putin. So, you know, the idea that the Trump... Um, uh, uh, um, sort of, if you like, sort of peacenik approach uh, uh, is, is dead and buried isn't quite right. But he's having to fight to get it through, um, you know, his security advisors and all the rest of it. So uh, we saw, um, we've, we've, we've seen one head roll, uh, Comey. Um, there could well be other heads to roll as well. But it's going to be very much watch this space. So coming back to your question about China, I think that the Chinese, um, uh, in, in terms of uh, um, selling down their dollars and buying the commodities and maybe getting to a point where uh, they can um, uh, bring gold into the picture, uh, which basically would be very bad for the dollar and undermine their dollar position. That, I think, is on the back burner a little bit for, for, for the moment. But there is no doubt about it that uh, China's overall strategy, geopolitical strategy for the rest of Asia, is progressing very much as she uh, forecast in her 13th five-year plan. And only this week, there was the meeting in Beijing where <clears throat> I think something like 60 countries attended, uh, uh, where China laid down her plans for uh, the spice route. Right. Interestingly, India, which is a very, very important component of this, uh, refused to attend. <laughs> her nose was pointed out of joint because, of course, China has been investing in uh, a lot of money in developing Karachi as a point, as a port. Yeah. And so President Modi is very upset about that because, of course, they're deadly enemies. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, get over it, Modi, yeah. <laughs> I think is the message. Well, um, Alistair, you know, uh, with limited amount of time here, just a couple of minutes left, the idea that China and Russia are amassing huge amounts of gold seems as though they are looking to build perhaps a financial structure that is solidly built on gold to compete against the United States and uh, uh, the U.S. dollar hegemony. Uh, do you see it that way? And what does that mean for the dollar? What does that mean for gold? And then if you have uh, 30 seconds, perhaps, to talk about gold money, just mention 
uh, gold money. Sure. Um, I th- yes, I, I, I do see it as positive for gold. Uh, the, the problem that I think the Chinese have is that their currency is never going to really have international settlement um, uh, credibility, if you like, without having something more punchy behind it. So, yes, gold does have a role. And China, uh, bear in mind, has been secretly hoarding gold since uh, 1983 when uh, the uh, the, the People's Bank of China was appointed to, to act as the government's agent. So they've been doing it for a long time. Nobody knows how much gold they've got. I've speculated that the state's got about 20,000 tons. Uh, we know also that the private sector's bought a further anything between twelve and 15,000 tons. They've got a lot of gold. Russia is buying gold. India is desperately trying to get hold of gold from its own people, but they refuse to give it up. So you can see that gold is actually becoming very central to the largest trading block in the world. Right. Um, and, and gold money. And, and that brings us to gold money. Well, I mean, we we uh, do two things, basically. Uh, the original gold money uh, allows you to uh, hold outside the banking system in your own ownership, vaulted for you, gold, silver, platinum or palladium. Um, and uh, then we were acquired by uh, what was called BitGold, has now rebranded itself onto the, into the gold money name, and that is a payment service which is actually run out of our Toronto office, uh, and uh, that means that you can, um, it's a very uh, cost-effective way of buying gold, it costs half a percent commission going in, half a percent coming out, you can have a uh, preloaded uh, card uh, which allows it's a MasterCard, so you can spend your gold wherever you want, and um, it's it's it is an extremely useful uh, uh, facility. And the great thing is that if we have a systemic banking crisis, you still own your gold. It's not in the banking system. We pay for your insurance and we pay for your your, your uh, storage fees. All right, we'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. Thank you so much for being with us again. Always a pleasure having you, folks. That's all for this week. Next week, Mark Chandler will be my main guest, and also Dr. Quentin Henning of uh, Novo Resources will be with us as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. DynaCert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Tri-Metals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Tri-Metals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. Tri-Metals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. Tri-Metals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com.